I think because that, because there's an algorithm, because people get excited for when they have a uh, recommended, uh, when they have, you know, uh, here's your Discovery Weekly that comes out on Spotify, genre has become less and less of a consideration, I think, over time. And it's been fascinating because I really do feel like Old Town Road, the fact that a rap country crossover could happen and no one really batted an eye at it is honestly pretty incredible. You're listening to It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to It's All Dead, uh, coming to you from the comfort of my home. I'm Kyle Hawk, and I'm in my house, and I am recording a podcast for a website called It's All Dead. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We've got like 70 or 80 episodes that you might want to check out, which you're welcome to do on any of the podcasting platforms that you find uh, convenient and easy to use. Um, you can also check out our website, it's all dead.com. And uh, this podcast is, you know, sometimes I plan, sometimes uh, I, I line my guests up strategically and I do a lot of back work to make sure that I'm researched and ready to go. Sometimes I just hit record and go off the cuff. And uh, I am doing that kind of today with a podcast as I am joined once again by uh, my good friend Evan Saudi uh, from Pop Matters. Evan. Hi, welcome back. Happy to be here. Uh, we're going to be talking about Whit Merrifield, right? That is correct. Man, <laughs> you <laughs> you never cease to amaze me. with. See, now you've done your homework. Oh, so yes, I know. Fine. I'm very researched in Kyle's interests, so we are ready to go. <laughs> we're going to talk about this and whether or not a uh, Motion City soundtrack reunion is in the cards. There you go. Uh, I've got a feeling that it is. But uh, no, Evan uh, has been on the podcast, like I said, a couple times before. You've come on to, what all have we talked about? We talked about the best debut albums of the past 50 years, mm -hmm. a feature you wrote at Yard Barker. Um, had John once before that. I was just talking about, I think, music journalism in general. But really, the thing here is, like, I get asked, hey, when do you have an Evan back on the podcast? I always like when he's on. And so, like, I... You know, I was like, I need to, I need to figure out a way to talk with Evan. I reached out, and all I could think to start with was, you know, somebody should talk about Old Town Road. It's a, it's a song that really no one's talked about. I know, yeah, yeah. There's nothing really been said, and I thought, well, you know, we we could hop on the mic and and uh, and share our thoughts. But no, it, that actually led to, I think, a, a really interesting conversation we had via Facebook Messenger that made me think like, okay, let's just, let's talk a little bit because it, we're, we're coming towards the, the end of summer here. Um, another summer seasons in the books. And of course, for me, I, I, summer is the season of pop music. Uh, just in a sense of like, I, I feel like there's always something to talk about. There's always, of course, the song of the summer is a, a thing that you hear over and over. And, and this year I thought was really interesting. And I think my thoughts about all of it in my head, when I shared them with you, you kind of made way more sense of it. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about all this. But before I do that, like, I don't know, what do you think about when you think about summer as it relates to music? Do you have like go to's that you listen to? Is there a certain genre that sticks out to you more in the summertime? Well, I feel like there's certain time, it, it depends on where you are. I mean, I think summer means a different thing to every person, but there are certain records that are best enjoyed in that hindsight. I think, you know, Kanye West's graduation was uh, absolute <laughs> legitimate summer record for the longest time. Yep. I think, uh, you know, it, certain pop artists, I think a lot of uh, Taylor Swift fans are very happy that Lover came out during this time, that generational mm -hmm. class that came out a couple weeks ago when we recorded this. Uh, but I mean, it's, I think, you know, it means different things to different people. And so for me, like, although the Kanye West is an immediate example, it's just, there's something always about, uh, you know, kind of the old, you know, Kia soul ads. There was that whole driving at night with the rooftop down stars up kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and the, you know, aside from introducing people to Nick Drake and Bon Iver, uh, there's just always something freeing about that, that you can't do in yeah. winter. Winter's the time for uh, uh, a Bjork Vespertina album, you know, like that's, uh, mm. That's around. That's you know about that kind of thing. But yeah, I don't know. Summer is a different ilk. I mean, it's as much as it is the hot party songs. It depends on how sweaty do you want to be, and are you okay with that much level of sweat? Because if you're <laughs> if you're DJing a wedding, as I have done before, as you know, many I'm sure critics have, whether they want to admit it or not, uh -huh. uh, there are songs that will just get people going on the dance floor. And you know what? A lot of weddings, people yeah. like songs with instructions. So as old as it may be, put on the cha cha slide because it doesn't matter how nice people's suits are, they will. Dance dance to it no matter the weather 
I, we should find out like what the percentage of music journalists that have DJed a wedding is because I've done it as well. Yeah. Like you just kind of become the person that's like, oh yeah, Kyle, he's the music guy. He knows about music. Kyle, will you do this? Like I, I've never thought about that before, but now that you say it, I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, that would actually be really interesting. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because like there's a lot of people I speak to that are just like, you know, like I just kind of casually mentioned, not that it's a side gig or anything, but like, I'm just like, you know, I've DJed some weddings. They're like, oh, we're just going to put on a playlist. I'm like, okay, you know, which is <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's a lot of people who've discovered that, you know, having someone there to kind of essentially live mixtape is a big deal because if you play a old, you know, a song, if you play just the way you are by Billy Joel and it gets a lot of older mm-hmm. people out on the floor, you want to keep them on the floor. You don't want to immediately go from right. that to say Old Town Road or Billie Eilish because I think that might be a bit of a whiplash depending. But, you know, well, there's there's different modes and tones. So it's a, it's its own spiritual thing in and of itself. Hey, great job bringing it back around there, uh, <laughs> getting us back on track yeah. as we're just getting started here. So I, I'm just going to start here, and I, I kind of want you to, to, to kind of take it away here. My, my first thought when I reached out to you and we were talking is like, okay, summer 2019's over. Obviously, Old Town Road was a, a, a song of the summer like we haven't seen at least since Call Me Maybe, if ever. I mean, it spent 19 weeks uh, number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, and then, of course, Billie Eilish, kind of her her rise to mainstream popularity this summer. And I find it so interesting because we, we've got these young artists that are sort of counter to the typical industry pop artist type person. While this summer, Katy Perry released new music. Taylor Swift, you mentioned, released new music. And all of this was almost overshadowed by these young stars that don't that don't fit that mold of like our generation's pop star at all. Mm-hmm. And I, I, my whole thing was like, what does this mean? And you immediately took it down the path of genre, which I thought was interesting. But I mean, what, what was your takeaway from all this this summer? I remember when I first heard Old Town Road, the first time I heard it wasn't the song itself as much as I heard the first bit of controversy about it, how this mm. song, this rap song was slowly moving up the country charts and the rap charts at the same time. And then Billboard did the controversial decision of disqualifying it from the country charts, saying it wasn't country enough, basically, which yeah. then led Lil Nas X and his management to add uh, Billy Ray Cyrus onto the remix. And of course, many other remixes have happened since then. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the same time, that was the thing that kind of like, oh, well, what is this and i remember hearing the song i'm like you know this is all right you know i didn't love it to death but you know i'm like this is all right but the thing is that the fact that it grew in popularity country rap has been a thing that has been attempted uh many times before to varying degrees Uh of success i remember uh big and rich they had a signee uh onto their label uh who uh, a rap artist that they tried to make happen for a while and it didn't happen Uh, i just remember that that artist released an album called black in the saddle and it didn't do especially well uh, but then again, you got to keep in mind there was uh, Nelly. He had a, a number yep. three hit with Over and Over featuring Tim McGraw. There was uh, Brad Paisley who had a who knows if it even charted hit with Accidental Racist featuring LL Cool J. Uh, you know, like this uh, this trope has been attempted before. Uh, country artists sometimes cross over to a degree, but this was a very distinct entity in and of itself. And I feel like truly in the day you a lot of times you look out here and i feel like when you look at a lot of different spotify when you look at a lot of different album drops initially when drake put out uh views uh and it was of course like one of the most streamed albums of all time uh part of the reason that it did so well is because it was this 22 track monster and a lot of artists taylor mm-hmm. swift etc release these albums that are 15 16 17 whatever how many tracks long uh because in a playlist era every track counts everything is a sale yep. the you know some albums suffer from that i'm thinking of you starboy by the weekend uh but <laughs> Ultimately, uh, I feel like with all of these different things that people are trying to do to accommodate it, the thing is we're more of a playlist culture than anything else. This summer, Ed Sheeran put out what I would argue is the worst album of the year with number six collaborations project in which he just collaborated with people on every single song. And it was really upsetting because it really felt like it was catered to a playlist world specifically. He's going to try and have someone, uh, you know, an artist from almost every genre. He's attempting to make all these different things. It really didn't sound like Ed Sheeran. It sounded like Ed Sheeran and putting his voice to is a lot of different styles and a lot of different sounds. So I think because that, because there's an algorithm, because people get excited for when they have a uh, recommended, uh, when they have, you know, uh, here's your Discovery Weekly that comes out on Spotify, genre has become less and less of a consideration, I think, over time. And it's been 
fascinating because I really do feel like Old Town Road, it is, aside from the fact that it's so dumb, it's brilliant. It really is in terms of the lyrics. We all know the lyrics pretty well now. Uh, But at the same time, the fact that a rap country crossover could happen and no one really batted an eye at it is honestly pretty incredible. Yeah, and the thing that strikes me that feels different from a lot of the other examples you shared, specifically with the sort of country rap mashup, is that I just don't see any way where Lil Nas X, knowing what we kind of know of him, kind of set out. like Because Nelly was at a point in his career where doing a song with Tim McGraw was like something that was newsworthy. Mm-hmm. And like, Nelly even. needed that sort of thing like at that point in his career. Like you can... Uh, it, it almost felt gimmicky in a lot of ways where Old Town Road never felt like forced or gimmicky or put upon me by somebody in a suit. It felt kind of, uh, I don't know if pure is the right word, but I mean, certainly it felt a little bit more honest than I think a, a lot of other things have. And I think that the fact that it was so organic in that way probably helped it a little bit too. I mean, one of my favorite things on the internet this year, I, I mean, we've all seen it at this point is the, the, the children in that elementary school gymnasium, like losing their minds when he comes out on stage in their auditorium mm-hmm. and they're all singing the song at the top of their lungs. There's something, there was something about that and just kind of the moment of it that felt a little bit different than we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And I think it also tends to a different type of pop star. Like I've learned over times through my old advanced age of 34 that in various people, there's very different types of celebrity or some artists that you and I are into aren't necessarily going to be shared by, you know, grandmas or even young people. Like, you know, there was the controversy of Taylor Swifters being so upset that that tool knocked Taylor Swift off of the top of the chart. And it's just like, who, who's this old band or whatever, when in fact it's very much enmeshed in so many different people's like lives and culture and experience. Uh, But I mean, it kind of speaks to something at the same time, there's YouTuber culture where there's basically giant Mm -hmm. mega YouTube celebrities who I have basically never heard of before. You know, there's people that are so excited about the Jake and Logan Pauls and the Shane Dawson's and the, you know, various makeup people feuds, whatever. Ever, uh, that basically kind of have flirtations with mainstream success, but just are contained within their own realms. So I feel like to right. a degree, you got to, with the YouTube generation, with the streaming generation, people have access to these things at all time. It's not like, oh, I had to go to my friend's place to listen to a CD or something like that. I had right. to wait at a midnight, you know, sale to buy this. Uh, they actually just have that access to it right now. So a lot of these times, these fan bases build up organically and naturally and sometimes very surprisingly. Well, no, it's funny. We just did a a podcast kind of talking about this very concept of the way that our music consumption habits have kind of changed forever. There's no going back. Mm -hmm. And it kind of opens the door for something like Old Town Road to happen in the way that it did. Um, Now, also in talking about sort of the, the idea of kind of genre blurring away, I mean, one of my favorite songs this year, and I'm, I'm honestly, Evan, I'm not sure that if the year ended right now, I wouldn't have this as my number one song of the year is uh, Boy With Love uh, by BTS and Halsey. And and this is a song in which I don't know the lyrics to like 95% of it or more. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mean, that it's it, we had Despacito a few years ago. And I remember the last time we did a podcast, you talked a little bit about kind of this uh, excitement you had about um just different cultural pop making its way into sort of the American mainstream realm. Um, This has been kind of an interesting thing where you'd brought up this idea of like, we don't care who makes it. Uh, It's just the actual product itself and what's happening in that moment. I mean, expound on that a little bit, because I I thought you uh, were kind of on to something. Well, I feel like to a degree that leads a little bit to the accessibility of it, because at the end of the day, a good song is a good song. Uh, And ultimately, the fact that uh, Psy, when he broke through with Gangnam Style back in 2012, was, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think a historic moment because the U.S. charts traditionally aren't really that accepting towards uh, non-English language uh, tracks or albums. And really, it took Justin Bieber to you know really push Despacito to where it was even though his English language verse is such a minuscule part of what the song is but it really spoke to that and the continued and rising and amazing success of BTS says that pop music is universal to a degree that we didn't know before and honestly previously right. that's changing with the era of streaming too because not only is all of this successful not only could an algorithm recommend a non-English language song that you're like oh yeah this is bumping but more importantly mm-hmm. other the accessibility of it is increasing um 
my husband Taryn, he for a phase was into uh, K-pop, uh, and it was like you know he was you know mildly obsessive with it, and now he's you know jaded and bitter about it, even though you know he's still aware of the current trends right there. Uh, and for the record, yeah. you know he thinks BTS is fairly overrated because obviously the best K-pop boy band is EXO, as we are fully aware ah, with their many great songs, uh, and the, some of them are actually genuinely great. I'm not even gonna lie, but the biggest thing about it is that he was going over his like best of pop uh, playlist from a couple of years ago, and one of the best songs that we heard in 2016 was the song TT by Twice. They're a girl group in K-pop mm. and TT is like a megaton of a pop single. It's like every single part of that song could have been a the chorus of another pop song, but they just tra- crammed like 12 of them together and it's just this meticulous pop <laughs> masterpiece. And he's going through his playlist. He's like, why isn't it on here? Why isn't it on? It was the song of the year. Why isn't it on here? And then he lo- had to look it up. It's like, it probably wasn't on here when I made this playlist. And genuinely, I feel mm. like uh, with, in terms of like the K-pop machine, I feel like in terms of a lot of other people, availability is becoming more and more transparent and apparent. Only in certain cases do you actually upload a, or look at a playlist on Spotify and something's grayed out because it's not available in your country. Those barriers ever so gradually yeah. are slowly being breaking down. Because again, I feel like just us as a culture, we're more accepting of non-English language uh, verses and choruses and sounds altogether. And it's huge. It's gigantic to the point where the fact that bts is selling out entire arenas uh and doing tours right. like this it's something that i don't think anyone could have predicted i feel like bts it could have been any uh k-pop group genuine but them blackpink all these other, it's just turning into a tsunami and frankly i love it even though some of the groups may not necessarily yeah. be my favorite it's like the fact that now bad bunny and jay balvin they could drop surprise albums and they're like moving like gangbusters it's fantastic and it's sometimes when you look at the actual sales they're not as big as the streaming number because the streaming numbers are just right. astronomic. Well, and I, yeah, and what's not to like, right? I mean, <laughs> I, it's so easy to get nostalgic, I guess, about, oh, the days when I could listen to music in this way. And it was a simpler time. And, you know, we, we talked about this on the, the, the last podcast that we uh, did here for It's All Dead. And I, I mean, it, you can, I guess... You can process what it's like now to consume music and how our attention spans might be less and our, is our appreciation of the album gone. But Evan, the way I think about it is like when I was younger, I mean, I, there, there was no way I would have had access to the like the world literally of music that I mean, young people have access to today. And that seems like only that could only be a good thing that these voices kind of are, are available to everyone. Right. Right. Well, I think about it. If you talk to a lot of, especially older and especially white critics that are actually like, you know, decently know what they're doing, you usually find that people in the 30, 40 year age range or whatever, a common thread among them is a love of Weird Al Yankovic. And I mean this in the <laughs> kindest way possible because like for, you know, like young white suburban kids finding something witty and humorous or whatever, like on an album is like, oh, look, this is fun or whatever. But the thing about a Weird Al album is that uh, he would parody different sh- songs of different genres and would kind of, vicariously like expose you to other mm-hmm. genres that you may not immediately be a parent of. Like there was, mm-hmm. you know, when I was super young, there were certain songs like I've never heard. It's all about the Benjamins before. So, you know, like, well, yeah. all about the Benjamins is funny. It kind of makes you go back and realize what the source material is. And there's this very like subtle and small way of kind of introducing you to something that's very much outside your standard perspective of uh, what it was. And now all of a sudden it is like commonplace because now this right. is the way people get it. The only way if you want to actually put, you know, do a surprise release or put something out there that is just genuinely rare and obscure is to put it not on streaming service because like I feel like there's certain that's the only way you can do it now because everything is just so voluminously available so that's why when you mention someone like Billie Eilish that is someone who is genuinely a pop star who has grown up of the era and you can have an opinion about Billie Eilish uh, apparently she is beloved by the ASMR crowd first uh, first and foremost obviously because mm. you know she's a whisper singer of the highest degree uh, but <laughs> more importantly though I think a lot of people are just realizing that this is, you know, this for an a song as utterly transgressive as Bad Guy is to be a pop song to top the charts, that is striking. This is like yeah. Tracy Chapman Fast Car, a very sad song about drunk driving. Uh that you know, like kind of yeah. like like how is this here? This is uh Luca. Uh this is you know something this is a throwback to a much sadder stranger time, and yet they put a beat to it. And so this is, I think, again, speaks to the fact that she is a pop star of the generation, and I feel like she is representative of the listeners of her generation where she yep. really doesn't care about genre and also loves Justin Bieber unironically. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. And so, the, like we said, Old Town Road spends 19 weeks on the charts and then is upended by Billie Eilish, the, our first artist born in the 2000s to have a number one single, uh, which feels like that means something. And that kind of ties together uh, some of the things that we've been talking about. And I, I was so fascinated. I've actually been listening to her for a while now. I'm, I'm going to be that guy for a second because th- those days of my life have passed, Evan, where I know about something before everybody else does. Right. And so I, I was, was your last grasp. This is, yeah, this is the last, the last hurrah for me of the, it, I, I'm just so fascinated of, I, I knew that this could happen, but the way that it happened really kind of caught me off guard, um, it, especially because it seemed like it take a, took a while. After her full length came out earlier this year, it was like, okay, she's about to have this moment. And then it wasn't until like late summer that she kind of broke through. And I think people were talking about her. I mean, she she has a very real fan base uh, that's gotten pretty extremely large. So I don't want to say that like the number one song on radio is indicative of of anything, right. but it, it certainly, it was like the moment of like, okay, now here she is. And I thought it was kind of, it's been fascinating to kind of watch her come to this point. And so I, I kind of teed up some of this conversation by saying, you know, we had, if, if we, if we'd start out the year and I told you like, Evan, there's a new Taylor Swift album dropping this summer, Katy Perry, she's going to have some tracks this summer. I mean, we, there's a number of big name artists that have put out new music this year, um, but yet none of them had a stranglehold on just the general conversation. Now, now Taylor Swift, we're going to talk about her later because Lover is a big deal. I really love the album and obviously Taylor Swift still matters. But did it mean anything to you that none of them could kind of break through past a Lil Nas X or a Billie Eilish? Well, I think about it like you got to think. I remember uh, there's this great podcast that I highly recommend your listeners uh, check out called Hit Parade on Slate. Uh, it's hosted mm-hmm. by the great critic Chris Melamphy, and he basically looks at feats of chart incredibleness. He looks at the time when uh, DJs rebelled against in the 80s against what record labels were promoting, saying, we know what the best tracks are, and was able to make uh, UB40's Red Red Wine an actual mega hit, even though it wasn't even on the album that was currently on cycle yeah. or being promoted. Or the time when the Beatles had three number one songs that the Beatles themselves did not record or perform Mm. on various points. Like he just goes through like weird little chart things. And he talks about one of the best episodes is the George Michael one, because he reflects on George Michael's Imperial period. Because for most artists, they will hit a Zenith. They will hit a time in which they are absolutely unstoppable in which it doesn't matter what they put out. It could be good. It could be terrible. It will sell incredibly well. Uh, Elton John's, uh, I think it's rocket the Westies, an album that is largely derived and largely forgotten about Number one smash, one of the first albums to actually debut at number one. Like it was an astonishing thing. There was a time in an artist's life when they were just so beloved and so incredible that they can do no wrong. But that phase can only last for so long. Artists Mm -hmm. like you two are so rare in the bunch because you, for the most part, have so many other artists that will maybe have a time of the popular consciousness and it will go. I think Imagine Dragons have come and gone. Sorry, Imagine Dragons fans out there. That's it. But with pop stars, it's it's much more. uh, It's a much more specific thing because they usually are good in defining an era. Whitney Houston absolutely defined the 80s in a certain way, just as Janet Mm -hmm. Jackson did. Uh, And at the same time, Britney Spears defined the early 2000s in a way that she absolutely cannot anymore. She will always have a fan base, but her influence, her cultural presence is so utterly diminished and so kind of waylaid that it's to the point where it is nostalgic, which is kind of absolutely astonishing. So I think with Katy Perry, Katy Perry, I mean, even though... uh, Nothing's uh, nothing's ever over. I believe the name is the new uh, the, her first new single. I remember a lot of people who hate on Katy Perry love the fuck out of that song, and yeah. then it didn't barely chart it. Her follow up hasn't charted as well. Like Katy Perry's time as the bubbly gum pop star might be over. And while yep. Taylor Swift is still an absolutely dominant cultural force, uh, I feel like there is to a degree she is kind of maybe falling by the wayside as well. Because, and it's not to anyone's fault or detriment. It's just you come to define a certain era of music and then you're, that time is gone. 
sure, Tool can come back 17 years later and have a number one album, but that's, you know, again, a rare exceptional case. Yeah. People will have these moments. Will Bruno Mars be as big with his next album? I have no idea at this point right now, but everyone has an imperial period. There's a rise and there's a fall. Very, right. very rare artists are able to actually maintain themselves and change the narrative. Madonna is a perfect example, and if Taylor Swift is doing anything, ideally she's following that same example of changing and adjusting her sound and herself as the time goes on to be more fitting with what the time is. Yeah. And I, I love uh, hearing you talk about this. I, I think I, I've uh, heard you mention this before, the idea of the imperial period. And I, I think it is pretty clear that Katy Perry is is past that point now. I don't think Taylor Swift is, um, but we'll, we'll get into her a little bit later uh, mm -hmm. uh, here with the new album. But I, I want to ask you to kind of predict the, the future here for a moment. When we look back at the summer of 19, are we going to remember a Lil Nas X, a, a Billie Eilish specifically, as sort of a momentary disruptor that sort of marked a change, uh, both in terms of how we viewed pop music and the types of artists that were going to kind of lead the way for you know the next decade or do you see someone like a billy eilish having the legs here to sort of enter her own imperial period where we're still going to be talking about her 10 years from now i mean the thing is that for me it's almost impossible to predict simply because you look at previous examples of monster smashes and were they one hit wonders or did they actually stick around look at uh i would say carly ray jepson is a great example she had a giant mega summer swallowing smash in terms of call me maybe and while she never reached those commercial heights even remotely again, she nonetheless made in these critically beloved uh, fan base catering incredible albums that are still wildly beloved. She still sells out her yep. tours constantly. She's just not yep. on that same platform, that same level as she used to be anymore. Meanwhile, I remember there was a Pretty Ricky was an uh, R&B boy band at one point that had a number one album. I don't even know what they're doing anymore. Uh, but yeah. like the, th the thing is that you can never predict exactly what kind of things are going to happen. So I will say that Lil Nas X seems like the kind of person that absolutely disrupted the things. I have no idea whether or not he will have uh, chart hits again. His personality is wonderful. I think that will carry him a lot longer in, than some of his music actually will. I would love to see yeah. him succeed uh, seat again but i have no way of knowing billy eilish it seems like she's here to stay but also she's fucking 17 years old i have no right. idea what that level of fame does to someone uh whatsoever so we'll see how that shakes out but i mean clearly she has a uh, audience and she has a connection that is very distinct and very unique so we shall yeah. see i feel like you know the other people might be following in her footsteps to a degree we'll see well you know since you brought up carly ray jepson and the Listeners of this podcast know that I stand for Carly Rae Jepsen to the extreme. <laughs> I saw her this summer uh, again mm -hmm. on uh, the uh, dedicated tour, and I, I couldn't get over. I mean, she played at a pretty large size venue here in Indianapolis, sold out. She played Call Me Maybe five songs into the set list and not a single person left. And I think if, if you're someone who has that sort of moment, that song of the summer type moment, uh, that's really like... And you're not going to sustain that level of like mainstream popularity success. Like Carly Rae Jepsen is the model. Like what she's been mm -hmm. able to do is sort of a critical darling since that moment and sort of redefine herself and rebuild her own specific audience from that moment is something that I don't know if I can think of an example off the top of my head, at least not recently, of somebody that's pulled it off in that way. And I just, I find it fascinating. Right. And I feel like a lot of do agree genuinely in this day and age. And honestly, it's probably been true since the beginning of, you know, pop music's creation. But uh, being your music is one thing, but your image is another. And ultimately, those two will go hand in hand. Uh, I feel like there are certain people like, honestly, I wouldn't put it at the same level, but Eminem is someone who is vaguely self-aware of what his image is and mm -hmm. is, you know, constantly playing to that. Uh, I feel like the Smashing Pumpkins, who just are launching a tour with Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds, do not have that same ability or control. <laughs> I feel like Billy Corgan is the kind of person who feels like, yeah, the music is going to save me. When in uh -huh. fact, like, he doesn't do the kind of, you know, goodwill or building up or social media, you know, things that need to do to kind of bring awareness or attention to the fact that apparently their last tour that they did where they played a lot of the hits really ripped i knew multiple people who went mm. to it and said like yeah they are kicking it right now but you did not see that translate into sales or acclaim or those other things like there it right. is truly taking that uh thing i really feel like the pixies have done a horrible job of mitigating their image because after one bad pitchfork review of what their post uh 
uh, post Kim music, uh, they've put out a couple other albums and people just largely dismiss them. People only think of their classic era. And I know some people who genuinely enjoy their latter day albums, but it's just not the same because obviously it's their wild, crazier early albums, uh, with yeah. Frank Black that are really the ones, uh, that are, people strike to this, these, you know, Kim dealless ones since then, like, oh, they're just washed up. They're has-beens. But the thing is they haven't done anything to really correct that narrative. They're just putting out that music. So yep. the pop stars of this next year, as much as Katy Perry is trying to do the right moves to, you know, like correct her image. Like I feel like Taylor Swift is someone who is genuinely, and a lot of people have pointed out the fact that she is a master of marketing in the sense that sure. she knows how to change the narrative, how to make the conversation about her in some way or another, because she's talking about her personal life. I feel like one of the best things I ever read as a critic I believe it was Stephen Thomas Rowan's review of uh, the Eminem show by Eminem. Because you got to keep in mind, back in early 2000s, uh, Eminem, the Marshall Mathers LP, was the album. Like, my mm-hmm. name, you know, his very first album was one thing, but the Marshall Mathers LP, holy crap, yep. that was one where it was the controversy. Oh my God, he's killing his wife. Oh my God, here's this song with Dido. There's just a lot of contradictions and a lot, a lot of people being angry that this is what's popular and et cetera, et cetera. And then he did the Eminem show, which was very much a commentary kind of on what had happened, a kind of yeah. a dissection of the aftermath. And as Irwin pointed out, the thing is, that's all good and fine, but causing the chaos is always going to be more interesting than commenting on the aftermath. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's one of the things where a lot of people are like, am I going to you know, do something new and break it up, or am I just going to kind of reflect on what the things I had done wrong? Is, you know, uh, Katy Perry going to put out Witness? Is Taylor Swift going to put out Reputation? These yeah. albums that ultimately kind of comment on what was instead of the, you know, joys and controversies and whatnot that they started. Yeah, and so let's let's dive into Taylor Swift here. Lover uh, is definitely a course correction, although I will say that I warmed up to Reputation in, in a lot of ways I didn't expect to uh, over the past couple of years, I mean, uh, by the time Lover came out, I, I'd kind of, I, I wouldn't say I've done a full 180 because I didn't dislike the album per se, but <laughs> right. it was it was hard to figure out how to talk about. Um, whereas now I just kind of enjoy it for what it is. But Lover is here now. We've had it about uh, not quite a month, maybe three weeks or so. Uh, wh- what's your what's your take on the album? I, I didn't see. I don't. I don't think you reviewed this one, but if you did, I missed it. What What are your thoughts on it? You are correct. It's one of the things where I just... To be a thousand percent honest, I am bored. Uh, just, just to be mm. fully out mm. there, simply Ooh. because I know controversial words, but only because like Taylor Swift is uh, very good at writing Taylor Swift songs. She should surprise no sure. one, but she's catering to a very certain ilk. She, when 1989 came out, kind of adapted to this degree of kind of pop minimalism of like there is a keyboard, maybe a second keyboard and some drums and a lot of uh-huh. like multi-track vocals, where she kind of like embraced this very specific simplistic style, which I think. Is is good for a lot of what she's trying to achieve, but over the course of an entire album, kind of blurs together. I like a lot of the songs kind of like outside of the moments. And like when you hear songs like, uh, the archer which is kind of like this beatless thing or london boy there's like sweet moments in there but they ultimately kind of like there's this little bit blended together a lot of fans really like the title track because it very much was a harken back to the day of like classic country yeah. Taylor. not like sp- like overtly but like enough yeah. that it's just like yeah and so that's why like the best songs for me on this album are the ones that actually rip that actually break through the norm like paper rings this nice little oh, yeah. like punky exciting like almost like modern day uh paramore ish kind of number yeah it's like really fun and really exciting i think he knows is 100 percent straight up by carly ray jepson's song and uh-huh. it's the best song on the album because it's a carly <laughs> ray jepson song yeah. i'm not even kidding so it's one of the things where like it's it's fine uh, like you know like i know that there's a lot of people because she makes so many of the songs about herself about her perception in the media there's a lot for fans to dissect there's a lot for the media and press to kind of go over and cover and for me it's like that's all great but i'm just gonna go back and listen to lizzo's because i love you because that for me was just the mm. standout knockout of the year and I'm still going to be listening to it because that end to end is almost close to flawless like it is yeah. for, and so that's the kind of thing we're like this is all fine and good and everything and hey kids spelling is fun but at the end <laughs> of the day this is not the album that I'm going to remember it coming out of a 2019 yeah that's so interesting I, I think that's like the most lukewarm take I've heard honestly so far because it seemed like the general reception to this was pretty positive um, I had to give myself a little bit of pause. I, I've learned over the years to, it's so hard when you have to write album reviews and I don't have to write them anymore. And I didn't right. write the, the review for this one, but, uh, when I do, I've learned to probably take a little bit more time than I used to. Um, 
just because I know my sort of, um, yeah, I, I tend to react in the moment in ways that maybe a, two weeks later I don't agree with. And like so, an emotional reaction. Yeah. And I, I think my early reaction to Lover was, this is her best album. Um, it's not. But uh, like you mentioned, I think there's a there's enough sort of new tricks on it. You mentioned uh, Paper Rings. It's my favorite track on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really liked a lot of it. And it felt for as genuine, I guess, as Taylor Swift can feel at this point. And who knows? I think it's kind of the point now. We, we, right. we don't even know what's genuine anymore. But I there it felt to me at least like... I was listening to Taylor Swift pre-reputation, which I I think is exactly what she was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I, I, I see this album lasting for me for a while. Um, I I can say now confidently again, that I'm back where I was read as Taylor Swift's best album. What in your mind, what is, what is her best album? Uh, I would genuinely say, despite the fact that it opens with one of her worst fucking songs of all time, uh, 1989 if for me is it just because it feels like that was the moment when it made it click because like red very much i feel like was kind of having the pop both ways in terms of being a country album and also being a pop album like she wrote pop songs that were basically dressed up in country before you can hear that and speak now but right. 1989 outside of welcome to new york which fucking sucks and you can't give it to me otherwise <laughs> uh, I, I feel like the rest of the album she was trying new things she was daring and sure wildest dreams is basically a lana del rey song but then she had new romantics which is i would argue the best pop song she ever wrote that is on a bonus track Mm -hmm. on there you have blank space you have Mm -hmm. style it felt like there was the sense of discovery because she also with max martin and most especially with jack antonoff had found that songwriting partner that she really hadn't had to that same degree before like yeah she writes everything herself but having those people to bounce those ideas off of are big big deals and jack antonoff is that kind of perfect player for her sometimes he gets a little bit you know in the weeds a little bit but when you're able to make a production as good as out of the woods that elevates the song to a certain degree, like I feel like that really ultimately takes it to a degree that the tracks on reputation and uh, just, and this album honestly for me didn't hit that same level. Yeah. You know, it's interesting uh, mentioning Jack Antonoff. I mean, here's, here's somebody that's kind of been pulling the levers on popular music for, I don't know what, four or five years now. I mean, how much of an influence has this guy had on, on the, the stuff that everybody's talking about? Um, it, it's really interesting. I, I, uh, I'll just bring this up since, uh, you know, the pop matters connection, but while I was writing for pop matters, it was the week, it must've been early 2012, but it was the week that we are young hit number one on the billboard charts. Um, we'd gotten an interview with fun and I'd, gotten set up to do that. And I, I was hoping for Nate Roos and ended up being Jack Antonoff. So I, I remember in the moment being like, oh, I wish I could have talked to Nate on this now. In hindsight, I'm like, dang, I get to have Jack Antonoff on my on my resume of list of people I've interviewed. But I mean, who would have thought back then that this is the guy that would be, I mean, you talk about, you know, Carly Rae Jepsen and Lord and all these different artists that uh, he's he's been a part of, uh, you know, writing and producing with. It's kind of incredible. St. Vincent, but also more importantly, yeah. they're all women. Yep. He hasn't worked with guys, really. He doesn't, maybe his time in fun was enough where it wasn't that fun, where he didn't enjoy <laughs> yeah. working with other guys. But like, that's the thing. And I give credit to him for working pretty much almost exclusively with women mm-hmm. these days as a production producer and songwriter. I'm like, they're credit to him on that because yeah, like, no and the thing I like about him as producer is he clearly fits to a style because the production he did on Melodrama by Lord and the production work he did on the songs that he worked on for St. Vincent's uh, Mass Seduction are very different ill very different types and you know hey guess what uh saint vincent shows up on this album to do cruel summer to help co-write that and it's and it's probably one of the highlights genuinely so i i said earlier that i believe taylor swift is still within her imperial period although i i feel like the clock is probably ticking what what are your thoughts is she passed that point in your mind or like what's her place in the in the zeitgeist here in 2019 I feel like she still obviously has a great deal of command over the cultural space. She is able to get people to talk about her, which is is still a big thing. But the thing is that will it maintain? I mean, honestly, I think one of the biggest surprises that she had is that when uh, Reputation came out and despite it going to number one, the reaction to Lick What You Made Me Do was pretty negative altogether, critically especially. And then she had other songs, Are You Ready For This? People are just like, why is she trying to sound like Kanye Jesus and other things Mm -hmm. there? And then very quiet 
quietly delicate was uh, like, I think the third, fourth single yeah. off it. And that became like a very quiet, slowly rising radio hit. And I feel yeah. like that was like for all of the fucking end game with future and Ed Sheeran for all the other fucking bullshit that she was trying out there. This like fairly lighthearted, gentle pop song was the thing that ultimately was like kind of her saving grace. The thing that ultimately landed her on adult contemporary radio. And I feel like she clearly was paying attention to that. It's just like, Oh, maybe she needed to get reputation out of her system. I'm sure she did. But at the same time, like it was that moment of like, maybe people, what people really want from me is that. So she adapted. And I think a lot of people are very much embracing uh, lover in that same degree because she did adapt to be like, let me do more like that. So I think that her next album is going to be very much defined by what the reception is to this album, because she was gunned up for two number ones with me and uh, you need to calm down. And they were both kept off the top by none other the Lil Nas X with Old Town Road. He did it again. Uh, <laughs> God damn it, Lil Nas X, you bastard. And speaking of Taylor Swift's worst song, Endgame fucking sucks. I I, <laughs> I will argue with anybody uh, about that being uh, her worst song. I just, I can't stand it. And this, I, I love Future. Um, not, don't really care either way about Ed Sheeran, but damn that song can, can, we, can we can we side note about why future is great here's why future is great let me tell you it's because he had a guest verse on king's dead by kendrick lamar from the black panther soundtrack yeah. and what did he do during it he went la-di-da-di-da slob of my knob and like you know that's just <laughs> that's just genius when you're at the top of your game and you're making dick jokes like that how can how can you possibly how can you possibly beat that incredible yeah, stuff doesn't get any yeah, better he, he he did not give a good verse on Endgame. Sorry, no. Nice for he mailed it in. New, yeah, nice for predict the title for the new Avengers movie. But aside from that, <laughs> you know. All right. Well, I am going to use this to segue into something very dumb, um, and I, I want to be clear for everybody listening. Evan thinks on a higher plane than I'm able oh, to about music. No. I mean, I, that's why I, I respect him so much. I mean, you are just legitimately really fucking smart uh when it comes to just music criticism and i mean everything music which is why it's i'm, so I'm actually not i'm very taylor swift-esque in which i'm able to get people to think that i'm smart it's, uh, a very, it's an elaborate trick my pr team's amazing so i, I want to ask you this question and I, it it relates and i talked about this on twitter right around the time that lover came out so again Music is important to me, obviously, and I like to get to know people through music, and I feel like I can do that. It, it almost never fails. And so as I meet people and get to know them, several years ago, I stopped asking the question like, so who's your favorite band or what's your favorite album or whatever, and started asking a different question that goes thusly. If you were stranded on a deserted island and could have the discography of only one artist or band with you on the island, what artist or band would you choose? And I, this had come up again recently because I started wondering to myself if Taylor Swift was that artist for me. And my artist has changed a couple times, um, but who stink? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but Evan, I, I posed the question to you. Uh, what would your answer be? Well, I feel like, uh, and I'm going to just give listeners a behind-the-scenes peek into the making of the It's All Dead podcast. Uh, he sent a list out uh, beforehand of the topics he wanted to cover. And right uh -huh. below this question is one that says, what matters more to you, eclecticness or longevity? And I feel like that's an absolutely fair point to bring up. Because as much as you like, I love this one album by this one artist, I want to keep it with you. If that's going to be your Desert Island thing, you're going to be stuck with it for a while. So yep. if you pick someone with a super long discography, do you want to get into every single thing Lil B has ever released or do you actually want to spend time and actually go into an artist that changes or is eclecticness or what have you because like the first band I truly loved and I don't know if I love them anymore to the same degree is uh, the Flaming Lips uh, they were a group that kind of introduced me to the weirdness that of what pop music and what rock music could be. They were just a transformational yeah. band for me. So, but the thing is, when I go back to it, and this is just a clutch answer, this is what I have right now, because as much as I want to say the Avalanches, their discography is too short. Uh, so honestly, the answer I would probably give is actually DJ Shadow. 
And the only reason is because mm. in a discography, you want that sense of different tones and things. Because when you're stuck yeah. in a place, you are going to go through a lot of different feelings, a lot of different moods, a lot of different everything. Uh-huh. And as much as the latter-day uh, DJ Shadow albums are very much hit-or-miss affairs, to be honest, although uh, his most recent one did give us the incredible Nobody Speak by uh, featuring Run the Jewels, which is, you know, life-changing. Uh, I feel yeah. like it, the amount of tones and moods and styles that you will get from DJ Shadow's collected discography, I think, is enough to entertain yourself and anyone that you're stranded with for a certain period of time to a degree. You may not love all of it there, but there's that strong sense of just absolute diversity and fluidity and just to a degree genre breakingness that I feel like would uh, benefit anyone who is, you know, trying to hang on to the last threads of life as there is. I love it. I love this answer. I love how much you've thought about it in the short time since I sent you these notes. Um, And that's why I like this question so much because people like, even if somebody thinks that they, nobody knows the answer immediately. And you can see in somebody's eyes when they think they, they do because they think they know what you're asking them. And then they realize that's not what you're asking them and they have to stop. And the questions that this question brings up um, are plentiful. And I, I always enjoy that. And so one of them, for example, that I've been asked multiple times now is, well, if they're still active and they release more music, will I get that music? And <laughs> I made the decision that yes, you would. So in some ways it might benefit you to choose somebody that's currently active because it's possible that one day and in a bottle, a, a little USB drive will show up on the sand and you'll have more music to listen to. Um, but th- anyway, my point being, there's a lot of different things to consider. So my the thing I always talk about, I've had a number of different artists that I've thought through, like Anne Berlin and Paramore. Ultimately, Kanye has been my artist because his catalog is so eclectic. Um, and obviously, I mean, he's one of my favorite artists ever. Now, last year complicated things because I was like, well, if I'm on the island, do I know about all the shit that is happening, mm-hmm. you know, in, in 2018? And how much is that going to like bum me out? And, you know, I don't know. I don't have the answers to all this, but it certainly kind of made me have to step back and see if I wanted to to change my answer. But thank you for humoring me on this because it is <laughs> weird. Something you thought about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Well, we've we've spent a lot of time uh, this evening talking about summer 2019, but hey, the year's just a little over half over. There, there's plenty of time to go here. Is there anything you're excited for the rest of 2019 that uh, is either for sure coming out or allegedly coming out or might come out? Uh, I would say right now, the only things that I am, while I am curious to see what Charlie XCX does on her big mega pop album that she's going to put out, uh, I will say that seeing Caravan Palace live, I am very intrigued by. They are mm. an electro swing group who's uh, had their last album, Robot Face, in 2015, was one of my absolute favorite albums of that year. It's carried with me. I just got the vinyl in today, ironically, which is just so strange. Oh, but nice. they have a yeah, they have a brand new album out called Chronologic, which is uh, wonderful and wild and you know just an extraordinary pop affair. Uh, but honestly, the biggest thing I'm most curious about is to see, and I mean this in a genuine sense, I want to see how much bigger. Lizzo gets because I think it's fair to say a lot of people love Lizzo. We all love Lizzo. She has, she is someone who this is her third album that she put out because I love you this year. And it's obvious that it's her third album because she is playing the media game so well. She knows how to present her song. She knows how to present herself. She is a seasoned vet at this point. Uh, but the thing is that she just had another number one that's been on the chart for two weeks with uh, Truth Hurts, a song that she yeah. put out two years ago uh, that was put onto a Netflix romantic comedy called, I believe, Somebody Else or Someone Great. And uh, it wound up like becoming kind of a viral effect to the point where now not only is that song number one, her other song that she recently performed at the VMAs, one of my all time favorite songs from her, Good as Hell, now just entered the Hot 100. Like she is like yeah. to this point where her she put out a new album this year, and now all of her older songs are actually the ones that are charting. And it's just like such an extraordinary and odd little pop, like you know conundrum that she's in and like the people love her and i'm so excited about that and i want to see what else is happening with her because the fact that her older songs are getting play now these songs that she's labored over and are fantastic and incredible just like how her new album is still fantastic and incredible i'm just curious to see like is it just going to be like a tear delay effect where now two years from now juice is going to be number one i don't know mm. uh but like the fact that she's existing in the place that she is that she's selling out her tour and she's collaborating with miss yelling and so many other people I'm fascinated to see where she goes. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. How about for you? Well, I, I mean, it's. I, I feel like we're probably going to get 
another album from the 1975 before the year's over. Um, I really love the new single they just put out. It's hard for that to not be something I'm looking forward to. Just love that band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know this one sucks and it'll get a laugh, but I, I'm excited for the new Blink-182 album. I'm just, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm still on the bandwagon. Um, but yeah, Tegan and Sarah have a new album coming out. I, I feel like I'm going to get caught off guard by something more than anything. If like anything right. I list right now, there's something I don't know about that's going to catch me before the year's out. And that kind of always excites me a little bit. So I yeah. will say the new Tegan and Sarah is profoundly interesting to me because all they did for it is that they just went ahead and found songs that both of them wrote when they were 15, but never recorded. And now with our modern day production knowledge and maturity and musicianship are now recording them. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, that's such a great idea. That's so awesome to take yeah. your older, like, in the very first songs you wrote and be like, we're going to do a full album of these. I'm like, that's cool. I think that's such a really yeah. fresh premise to try. So I'm curious. Yeah, me too. Um, well, so tell us what comes for the rest of this year for Evan Saudi. I know the, the Chartographers uh, is coming back for a new season pretty soon. Is that right? Yeah, well, this is the year where when I describe my summer to a lot of people, uh, I got married, we uh-huh. moved to a new place, we I got a new job, and I got a third cat. So uh, it's been a, a very, very busy, <laughs> very busy summer. As you, you know, I you I guess had a kid, you know, small things like that. Yeah, I mean, I but that's yeah, <laughs> that's here or there. Uh, but right, so as such, we knew after we finished a fifteen artist season last year, we were going to do a much smaller, uh, more intimate season this year. So it's just going to be a five artist season. It's going to be our weird weird picks of artists that we want to do so uh we are going to be doing uh i believe uh tarantino soundtracks we're going to be doing two, my, my, two of my favorite artists uh butch walker and uh oh my god who's the other one that was going to do shelby lynn and Terrence going to do, do two of his favorite artists uh yona lee and also the k-pop group brown eyed girls so a very wow. weird mix of like things that no one would ever think we would cover and we're just going to do it and then in uh 2020 we're going to do an actual 10 artist full season again just like the old stuff so yeah it's going to be nice fun. Very great. And uh, of course, we can still find you at Pop Matters. We can find you. Are you still uh, doing some work for Yard Barker as well? Yep. I'm actually just got recently tasked to do a list of the most iconic album covers of all time. Oh, goddamn. You are coming back on this podcast (laughs) after that comes out. I cannot wait. It's going to be controversial, let me tell you. I mean, chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water has oh, got clearly. to be on there somewhere, right? My all time favorite, as you are fully aware. That, <laughs> of course, uh, No Love Deep Web by uh, Death Crips. Uh, incredible, yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible stuff. Okay. Ever, please do not Google that album cover at work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just think of that. Oh, um, well, this, this has been fun. Evan, thank you uh, for coming on the show to, to talk about this stuff. Always appreciate having you. Uh, it's been fun. Absolutely. Can't be back on any old time, friend. That's going to do it for this episode of It's All Dead. Thank you for joining. As I mentioned at the start, you can find us on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe or follow us there to get all of our episodes as we release them. I secured a guest for this podcast today that I am like, it's I'm over the moon. I cannot wait to to do this. And it'll probably be the next show we release. So uh, if you are a fan of mid-aughts post-hardcore, uh, this is going to be one that'll be of interest to you. Um, is it Katie Perry? Yeah, it is. That's it. <laughs> we're going to talk Converge. about... What can I say? She loves Converge. Yeah. We're going to talk about her uh, heavy metal Christian album from 2004. <laughs> so <love> <laughs> But yeah, that's coming. Uh, and of course, visit us at itsalldead.com. That is going to do it for now. Um, I'm Kyle Hawk, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at itsalldead.com for the latest music news, reviews, and much more.